Why are people blaming Voice Critical for the new cool way to get CTE? Why people are demanding Atlanta police body cam footage be released? What we know about the horrible news in California so far? The damn problem in America that's just getting worse? We've got all that and so much more to talk about on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show, so buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. It's over. It's over. Do not get up. So that insanity is from clips of a new show called Power Slap Road to the Title. It's got some people excited, but a lot of others saying this just looks like violence porn, the train to brain damage town and... He's absolutely going to have someone die if he keeps it going like that. All right, so some details and background. This was created by UFC president Dana White, and it started airing on TBS last week. And the premise is, well, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a competition series where competitive power slappers slap the ever-loving shit out of their opponents. So the controversy actually goes back before the show even aired because its release date had to be delayed after Dana White had a physical altercation with his wife. Because video footage got out showing the two of them talking when his wife all of a sudden slapped him in the face. He then went in and slapped her back, leading to a scuffle and people having to pull them apart. With all that coming out, New Year's Day and the show originally scheduled to come out on January 11th. You know, specifically bad optics. But now, the show is out there and you have many concerned about those involved suffering serious brain damage. And honestly, I mean, when you look at the clips, you can see why. In that first clip, the guy got hit so hard he falls straight to the ground, seemingly losing consciousness for a few moments until the medical staff's able to wake him up. And once he's up, he doesn't even know what happened to him. It's like he jumped time. He's knocked out doing what? Like fighting? And so you have people sharing that segment as well as other clips where people are just getting brutally hit on social media with one neurologist saying that the people who do this may never be the same. Saying Dana White and TBS should be ashamed. Pure exploitation. What's next? Who can survive a stabbing? And even professional fighters like Ryan Garcia saying the show needs to be stopped. Others writing, just here to say that Power Slap is dangerous and fundamentally wrong. Dana White should hang his head in shame with this. And adding, I hope it gets stopped before the damage to the fighters gets worse. With other combat sports, you are told to protect yourself at all times. With Power Slap, fighters are defenseless and at unnecessary risk. And that's one of the key things people are arguing that sports like boxing have defense tactics. But in Power Slapping, you're asking for a concussion every single time. We also saw this controversy affecting non-fighters. Right, Charlie Moist Critical, who I featured for a second at the top of this story, he actually responded to the situation because he was somehow wrapped up into the controversy. Right? Because in the past, he actually talked about how he loves slap fighting as a niche sport. And so he had some people actually upset that he had promoted this kind of sport, that he's okay with this level of violence. But he ended up posting a video over the weekend clarifying he is not on board with Dana White or the Power Slap show. What he's doing is significantly more dangerous than the slap fighting that I enjoy. Explaining that in the leagues that he watches, they follow a much stricter set of rules designed to protect people. But with Power Slap? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next episode they have, like, a halftime show where two people just hit each other in the face with baseball bats until one of them loses their entire f just gets decapitated. But ultimately for now, one of the biggest questions is, will this succeed? Or because it's already on TV right now, you have the Nevada State Athletic Commission seemingly in support of it. While the show premiered to kind of meh ratings, the controversy around this and all the conversation it has sparked is going to raise interest. So I really wouldn't be surprised if the viewership numbers on this went up, even if people are watching it because it's kind of a freak show. And as far as why Dana White and other promoters would maybe want to support something like this, is that likely in his eyes, it solves one of his issues. People complaining about boring fights. Right, so many people love those clippable, crazy KOs. You know, I've lost track of the number of times, you know, I've been watching like a, a UFC pay-per-view. I think it's a great fight, but then I go online and people are like, why are they cuddle fucking? Meanwhile, what you're watching is just like a, a wild showcasing of like wrestling and jujitsu. Right, it's super technical. Or the way others have put it, instead of making like a, another MLB, another baseball league, you're making a league where it's only the home run derby. Except that's not a fantastic one-to-one -one comparison because I don't know anyone that's getting CTE guaranteed in every home run derby. And if anything, I feel extra bad for these fighters who literally are not 
not allowed to defend themselves. Because with Dana White at the helm of this, they're risking all of this for what? Probably three nickels and a Baja blast? Like it's just pure insanity. And then now there are thousands of ticking time bombs all across America just waiting to go off right now. But it's not like the classic, do I cut the red wire or the blue wire kind of bomb? Instead, what I'm talking about is the cornerstone of our infrastructure dams because there's about 92,000 of them in the United States and they prevent flooding, generate electricity and store water for us. And the problem is that a lot of them are breaking down, be it from crumbling concrete, broken floodgates or damaged support beams. In fact, the American Society of Civil Engineers gave our flood control infrastructure a D in 2021 and an AP analysis in 2022 found more than 2,200 high hazard dams in poor or unsatisfactory condition. And then just a couple of months ago, USA Today counted nearly 3,000 dams in areas that are getting more frequent storms than in the past that are listed in poor or unsatisfactory condition and would probably kill people or destroy property if they failed. With that including the Overholzer Dam in Oklahoma City, with a 2015 model predicting what would happen if it broke during the worst case flood, and finding it would inundate a path two miles wide and 30 miles long, flooding mobile homes, hotels, and schools. And if that sounds bad to you, that is nothing compared to South Carolina's 130-year-old Canesti Dam, which is reportedly close to cracking wide open. And that's horrifying news because it's the only thing standing between tens of thousands of Greenville residents and the millions of tons of toxic chemicals and raw sewage straining to break free. But even though the State Department of Health and Environmental Controls agrees that the state of the dam is hazardous and lawmakers say it is leaking. They're struggling to scrounge up the cash for repairs. And this is in no way the only one that could introduce nasty chemicals into the equation. Right? In 2021, ProPublica found that with 81 dams in 24 states, if they were to fail, they could flood a major toxic waste site and spread contaminated material into surrounding communities. And in fact, we almost saw that happen back in 2020 with Michigan's Edenville Dam, with that erupting, forcing thousands of people to evacuate and flooding a Dow chemical plant. Though luckily there, there was no reported evidence of significant toxic release. But the future looks concerning because as dams continue to age, climate change will bring stronger storms and heavier rainfall, leading to a very concerning and possibly explosive situation for those caught below the breach. And although Biden's 2021 infrastructure package allocated $3 billion to dam-related projects, it barely touches the $76 billion needed to fix nearly 89,000 dams not owned by the federal government. And then, for any of you focused on getting your business off the ground, creating a place to share your homemade goods, new favorite hobby, current obsession, or even have a personal blog to get all those thoughts out of your head, I've got a great solution from you thanks to our fantastic sponsor Squarespace. You know I've been partnering with Squarespace for years now and I have to say it's just so easy. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever, and creating a beautiful website with Squarespace's all-in platform has never been so simple. It's incredibly intuitive and easy to use. Plus, with their mobile-optimized websites, your content automatically adjusts so it looks great on any device, which is more important than ever. And with Squarespace, you get access to all their marketing tools and analytics and their award-winning customer care team via email or live chat 24-7. So if you want to check it out, see why so many others love it, see if it's right for you, go ahead and start your free trial today over at squarespace.com slash Phil. And when you realize you love it, make sure you enter an offer code Phil to get 10% off your first purchase. And then things got crazy in Atlanta this weekend after a protest turned violent. Right, so people had come out on Saturday to protest the construction of a $90 million, 85-acre planned police training facility dubbed Cop City, as well as the death of activist Manuel Esteban Paez Tehran. Because Manuel had been protesting the facility as well, camping out in the woods where it was going to be built. And last Wednesday, officers came to clear out the area and arrest those within it. They find Paez Tehran, they tell him to get out, and according to their version of events, he then shoots an officer with them returning fire and killing him. Right, so we see Saturday's protest over these two things, as well as to bring awareness to the Atlanta Police Foundation and its connections, with demonstrators marching down a major Atlanta street, and according to the police chief, Darren Shirebaum, things were largely peaceful. But going on to say that eventually a smaller group began to break off from the crowd and were committing illegal acts. Right, things like breaking windows, setting cop cars on fire, and things eventually calming down with six arrests by the end of Saturday, with those arrested facing charges including domestic terrorism, arson in the first degree, criminal damage, and interference with government property. Now with this controversy, we should step out and talk about how different groups are framing it. Or we're seeing more conservative outlets seeing this as another 
example of violent protesting in the cities, as well as Antifa running amok, going as far as to claim that Paez Tehran was part of Antifa. But meanwhile, you have others saying and asking things like, y'all mad about cars and windows when forest defender Paez Tehran was murdered by the police? What's the appropriate response to murder? Which leads us to the next big controversy in this whole situation, what actually happened in the woods? Right, we have the police's version of events, that he shot at them, he wounded an officer, they shot back, and he was killed. That's not murder. Which is why we're seeing some activists saying that the police's version of events are a lie despite the alleged evidence the police have released. Which brings us to the good news. We can figure out who is telling the truth because we have body footage. Except apparently, no, we actually don't. Because the Georgia Bureau of Investigations won't release the footage, claiming that the cameras on the scene don't actually show what happened. With Manuel's mother telling the Guardian, I'm convinced that he was assassinated in cold blood. And others demanding an independent investigation. But for now, that's where we are. And as we wait to see what else comes from this, I want to pass a question off to you. What are your thoughts here? And then, we of course need to talk about the tragic shooting that happened in Monterey Park, California, that left 11 dead and nine others injured. So what we know is that the attack took place Saturday evening at the popular star ballroom dance studio in the close-knit, predominantly Asian suburb of Los Angeles, where celebrations were taking place for Lunar New Year's Eve. The ballroom dance studio is Chinese-owned, frequented by older Chinese-Americans. And according to law enforcement officials, shortly after 10 p.m., the gunman entered the studio and began to fire, then leaving the scene and going to another dance studio a few miles away in the neighboring Alhambra. With LA County Sheriff Robert Luna saying the shooter walked in there probably with the intent to kill more people, but miraculously, two people confronted the suspect and were able to disarm him, with Luna saying the shooter had a large-capacity semi-automatic pistol that he does not think is legal in California. But as far as the heroes, we know one was 26-year-old Brandon Sai, who was the third-generation operator of the family-run studio. In fact, we now have surveillance videos of Brandon confronting the attacker, struggling with him, and eventually getting control of the gun, with Brandon later describing the fight to Good Morning America. He started prepping his weapon and something came over me. I realized I needed to get the weapon away from him. I needed to take this weapon and disarm him or else everybody would have died. And going on to say once he got control of the gun, he pointed it at him and told him to get out, with the authorities saying the man then fled in a white cargo van, prompting an hours-long manhunt that ultimately ended when a SWAT team cornered the van in a parking lot in Torrance, about 30 miles away from the shootings, and there the attacker took his own life. Now, as far as what we know about the shooter, Luna identified him as a 72-year-old man of Asian descent, and as of recording, authorities have said so far that an official motive is unclear. Right now, there are a bunch of different conflicting reports and theories, but none have actually been confirmed by the police yet. Though according to CNN, the suspect's ex-wife and longtime acquaintance both said he had been a regular patron at Star Ballroom Dance Studio, and while his ex-wife told the outlet that he had never been violent towards her, she did say he could be quick to anger. Meanwhile, the acquaintance said that when the suspect frequented the dance hall, he would often complain that the instructors at the dance hall didn't like him and said evil things about him, and adding that this man was hostile to a lot of people there. We also had Los Angeles Magazine reporting that a law enforcement source said that the attacker was looking for his wife at both the dance halls that he went to and that there was increasing evidence that this was domestic violence. It also at least appeared to be backed up by Chester Chung, the chairman of the Chinese Chamber of Commerce of Los Angeles and a community leader in Monterey Park who said that he had heard the attack was related to domestic violence, with him also telling multiple outlets that jealousy might have been a possible motive because he was told the suspect's wife had been invited to the Lunar New Year party, but he had not. But then you also have law enforcement sources telling outlets that the man had recently shown up at a local police station saying that his family was trying to poison him, with an official also telling the New York Times that investigators believe the suspect specifically targeted some of the people that were killed, but others seem to have been killed randomly. So it's an important thing to remember that with this horrific story, there are a lot of moving parts here. Of course, we need to wait to see what updates we get because this is still a developing story. And very unfortunately, stories like this are not as rare as they should be in our country, whether it be gun violence in general or shooting incidents where there are more than 10 victims. Right, I mean, just early morning Sunday, according to reports, 12 people were injured in a shooting at a nightclub in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And in a press conference yesterday, the Baton Rouge police chief said that based on preliminary investigations, the incident was not a random act of violence in addict. We believe that this was a targeted event where someone was specifically targeted and others were injured in that process. But then at the same time, you have a law enforcement source telling CNN that some witnesses of the club said a fight broke out between two different groups of patrons, and then multiple people pulled out guns and just began shooting. Which, I mean, both of those possible scenarios 
equally horrifying. And that actually brings us to the end of today's show. When you leave a comment down below on the news that mattered most to you, I want to just say thank you for watching, liking, and being subscribed to my daily dives into the news. If you missed yesterday's Sunday PDS, check it out here. If you want a bonus video, I got you here. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.